Amen. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you'd open up your Bible, we'll be reading this morning from Galatians chapter 6, and then we'll be turning, uh, sorry, we'll be turning to Galatians chapter 6, and so if you need to be like, like a perfect flipper, you know, put your finger in Galatians chapter 6 and uh, flip back just a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll be reading from there starting in verse 4 and we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. The scriptures say, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we have been looking through the Scriptures. We have seen your gift to us, the identity that you have given us in Christ in previous weeks. We have seen the the need for the church to share the gospel. We have seen the need to pursue you by faith in discipleship, to follow you. You raise us up and seat us in heavenly places in Christ. You save us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by your love and power. We lay hold of it by faith. When you create a Christian, though, when you call someone into your family, you call them into a family. And you call them to serve the world that you created. Not, not the globe, not the, not the physical ground, although we are to care for that. But you call us, Lord, to care for the people of the world in service. Do good to everyone. That's what the Scripture says. But you call us to pay special attention to the family, to the fellowship. Do good to everyone, especially to believers, especially those to those of the household of faith. And so we pray as we consider your word this morning, as we look through the scriptures, we pray that, that you would convict us, not in a way that we would feel 
horrible about ourselves, but that we would say, yes, it is good. I will follow you. I will embrace this. Father, we pray that as we listen and pay attention and worship by hearing that we would gladden your heart by saying yes to what is said in Scripture. Father, you're the one that we adore. You're the one who's given us Jesus. You're the one who's called us and saved us. We pray that we would be obedient to you, not to earn your affection, but because of it. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we've been uh, filling up these giant white sheets of paper with uh, important information and uh, as to the mission and the vision of our church. And we're, we're just one week away from, from the, the last of the drawings. Uh, next week, we're going to try to pull everything together and, and, and sum it up in a uh, what now, where do we go from here uh, kind of message. Uh, pray for me. Uh, as I as I try to wrap all these bundles uh, together and uh, and pray for me anyway, uh, even if even if you know you're uh, you're not you're beyond next week's message. Uh, it's important that uh, that that your pastor gets your prayers because uh, the word is good, but the 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 flesh gets in the way, right? You know, and so uh, pray, pray that in all things that, that Christ would be preeminent uh, and, that, and that the focus would, uh, would remain on, on serving and pleasing him. We believe that God, because of his great mercy, calls people into a relationship with him, right? Uh, that's our little universal man symbol there. Uh, God saves folks by grace because of his goodness and his kindness he calls people to himself he saves them through faith think about it this is the only thing that we can do without doing something right god says this is what i have done for you you have sinned against me you have uh, been been born into a fallen family into adam's family and i put my son on the cross to take the burden of your sins i punished him for you that you would be forgiven he lived a perfectly righteous life and you can have that righteousness and he lays it out there and we say Yes, that's true. I believe that. I want that. Or we say, no, I don't. It's, it's, that's how it is received through faith. We're saved by God's grace through faith, and we are saved for good works. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. God gives it to us. It's not a result of works. No one can boast. No one can say, I'm so brilliant and that's why I'm a Christian. I'm pretty. That's why I'm a Christian, right? God needed me. That's why I'm a Christian. No, it's I am a Christian because God is good and loving and caring. And he put the gift out there and I saw it and said, yes. But when that gracious saving happens, we see that the design of God is that as he creates us, the scripture says we're his workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus for 
good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you are a Christian, let me say this to you. God called you into fellowship with Him for a reason. And He called you, and when He called you, He gave you gifts. If you are in His family, then He has given you something specific. You have value and talent. You have an ability. You also have passions. There are things that excite you. There are things that, that, that make you say, this is good. This is important. People are important. Or order is important. Or worship is important. Or sharing the gospel with the lost is important. Or helping people understand who Jesus is is important. There are so many things that drive human beings. And God called you into His family with those passions. He also gave you a history. And that shapes your experience, your gift, your passions, and your history. God brought you through these things, brought you to himself, that you might have your perspective and your role and your mission in God's family. And he created you that way for a reason. Now, I want to point out something amazing. We've already talked a little bit about, about the good news that God, God gives us Jesus. But let me, let me point something out to you here. This is what John says in, in 1 John Chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from Him, from Jesus, and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Okay? If we say, this is, this is what John says, if we say we have fellowship with Him when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you see that? The Scriptures say that God, right? This is in First John 1, 6. That God has fellowship with us. Now, I'm just going to personalize it. This is God has fellowship with me. Right? If I say... Go back. I have fellowship with Him. Why? Because He's called me into relationship with Him. Verse 9 of this passage is, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a true relationship. We have communion together, God and I, right? When I pray to my Heavenly Father in faith, He hears me. He has given me the righteousness of Christ. I seek to serve Him and honor Him and glorify Him in all that I do. And when I mess up, I come to Him and I say, I've messed up. And He says, you're forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Fellowship, relationship. It's the best relationship you have ever had with any being. It's the truest relationship. But let me point something out about this passage here. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So look, in verse 1, 7 of that passage, it points out that there's a third relationship here. There's God and I. Yes, the, this, is, this is so easy for Americans to understand, that I have a relationship with God, that I need things from God, and that I serve God, because we're great at the great big I, right? Serving as, in, as, as our own individuals, right? I 
I think things. I have needs. But look, there's also you. I have fellowship with God, but I also have fellowship with you. Why? Because I'm in Him and you are in Him. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Think about that. It doesn't say less kind of fellowship, inferior fellowship. It doesn't say that you've got like class A fellowship with God and class B fellowship with believers. We have fellowship with one another. A true community and sharing. And as believers, it's our job to cultivate that. How do we continue that? How do we walk in the light? There are so many commands in the scriptures that tell us how. And these are what we call the one another commands. You can find this all over the scriptures. Some of them are positive. Some of them are negative. Some of them say, don't do this to one another. Some of them say, do this. They're all summed up in the idea that we're to love one another. But look at how we preserve our walking in the light. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we, here's, here comes the fellowship part, we are members of one another. Right? The analogy in Scripture that's given is that Christ has a body, Right? That he is the head and that we are his body. That the body is composed of many parts. And that we are members of that body, but we are members of one another. Why? Because Christ is in me and he is in you if you are a Christian. And we are therefore members of one another. And so this community of the church is something that if we are serious about our faith, if we are serious about what the Scripture says, if we see with clear eyes what the Scripture says, we are bound by a conviction to live out the Word, to live out the, 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 the Christian life in the context of the church. The church is not unimportant or secondary. It's not me and God and me and Jesus and and no one else. It's we have to cultivate a godly community that lives out our mission to glorify God, to know Him and to make Him known. So I forgot to draw my my image of the body here. Right here here is the large body. I'm adding fingers because apparently when I drew the first picture there was some some folks who were like the man has no fingers he's got oh he had fingers on one hand and not on the other you know and it was it was like where are his fingers so here's our here's our here's our body right there we go all right i don't know why that last line was so complicated right there listen to how the how the body works okay here here is the body the 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 body is to grow and it's to make itself grow. Okay? Now you might say that doesn't sound spiritual. Listen to what the scripture says here. Ephesians 4:15 says, speaking the truth in love, we, this is individuals and the church community, we, the collective church, the collective body are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. People might say, Keith, you know, you're the pastor. You're the head of the church. Please don't say that. No, no, no. This church has a senior pastor. 
And it is Jesus. And the Scripture says that there are under-shepherds. And that's anyone else in leadership. Right? Jesus is the leader of the church. And we say, what would you have us do, Jesus? And He says, do this. And we say, yes, Lord. Right? The classic, it's amazing. It happens all the time in the life of Peter because I think that, I think that there's, a, there's a piece of their life. I'm not saying that none of this stuff really happened because it did really happen, but there's something about Peter's life that's just like a parable of our life, isn't it? Jesus says, this will happen or do this. And Peter says, no, comma, Lord. What's up with that? You call someone Lord, you obey them, don't you? Yeah. And so he is the head of the body. He is the boss. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you see that? Did you hear that? We are to grow up. The whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And so Christ is is putting the church together. Jesus is assembling the family. But when each part works properly, that's every believer living the way that they're called to, the way that they are supposed to, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that? Paul's cagey at times, isn't he? Does God make the church grow or do believers make the church grow? Look at that. Over and over and over. You get lost. You you keep saying, wait a minute. Here he's saying this. There he's saying that. When we do what we're supposed to do, right? In part, it's because God's doing what he's supposed to do. But when we do what we're called to, what God intends to happen, happens. Because he's making it happen, as I believe what Paul's saying. So, You want to unravel the mysteries of the universe? We can do that. I don't know really how it works. I know what the text says. Okay, so so what is the purpose and the parts of of the body for? Right, The hands are for good works. The hands are for for doing good. I think Cher goes right here. Yeah, let's just put it there and say that it's good. Uh, The body, I'm forgetting to fill some stuff in. The body is the church. Yeah, now the hands aren't for sharing. The hands are for serving. The feet, right? What does Paul say in Romans? Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. As a church, as a body, we ought to be saying, our feet ought to always be pointing us out the door of the assembly and out into the highways and the byways, into the place where you work, into your community, into your social relationships, into uh, all places we ought to be seeking to connect with people who don't know the gospel and taking it to them. The heart. This isn't the leaders. This is everybody. Remember, everybody's supposed to make the body grow when they are doing their job. The heart is to connect both to God and to Christ. I mean, both to, both to God and to others. Or to cultivate a strong sense of, I love these people. This is God's family on earth. Is it perfect? No. You know what they say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You will ruin it. You heard that? 
Yeah. Uh, no church is ever perfect in the, in the complete and utter spotless sense. The way, I already covered that. Um, so let's test our view then of the church. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at what the scripture says there. I'm going to read it and then we're going to walk through it and, and pursue its implications. The scripture says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks and all circumstances. And this is what's super important right here. It says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice the will of God doesn't say, you should marry this person. Right? The, 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 the target here is pretty big. It's not like got a bullseye on it, Right? The, the will of God is revealed in Scripture. You listen, when you search will of God, you turn up passages that say things like that you abstain from sexual immorality, right? You see passages that say the will of God is that you suffer, right? And then you've got a passage like this. So, what does the fellowship look like and, and how do they behave and what do they do? Look at the passage again. It says this, I urge you brothers. We ask you brothers. So we're talking here to believers. Right? This applies to believers. Here they are. All right? These are the rules. Did I spell that right? I before E? Except after L in believers, right? No, it's, it's good. Okay, good. Yeah, I never get this right. And I can never remember the rest of the rhyme. I ask you believers to encourage one another, right? So, so encourage one another. Encourage. What are one of the reasons why we memorize fighter verses? So that you have a word on your lips, like Isaiah says, that the Lord has given me the tongue of one who is taught so that I can sustain the weary with a word. God loves you. Really? How do, I, how do I know that, right? You can go to a passage in, in Ephesians. God, because of His great love. It's a gracious love. It's not a you deserve this kind of love, right? If you know that passage, if you know that you can go there, if it's in your heart, then you can encourage. Anyway, I'm preaching a different sermon. That's a Bible memorization sermon. Uh, encourage one another. And also it says, build one another up. In love. Build up. Right? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth except that which is good for edification that it may give grace to those who hear. I speak to build you up and encourage you not to tear you down. If, if the words are in my brain and they're coming out of my mouth in a tear down kind of a way, then, then the filter ought to stop them. Right? You ever, you ever, you ever been... In a, in a heated argument with somebody and your face does something, they're like, say it! Don't. Right? 
Every thought that you think is not to be said. Encourage one another and build each other up. Is this the leader's job? This is everybody's job. And the fellowship is functioning when everybody is doing this. I'm encouraging and I'm, and I'm, I'm building up. Now, what about leaders? Where does that go? It goes right here. Leaders. What about leaders? It says in verse 12 that, that we're to have respect for our leaders. This doesn't mean don't ever question them. It doesn't, ever, it doesn't mean don't ever say, hey, I'm concerned about this or I'm thinking about that or I noticed this or did you really mean? It doesn't say that. It means it says respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I, don't, I, I can't make a connection with the rest of the song. But she was right. The leaders are to be respected. Why? Because they labor among you. They're working hard at building up and encouraging. Do you know that every single command required of of leaders in the New Testament in the elder passages, every single one of them, except that elders should be male, able to teach, are the things that are called for every single other believer. They're to labor and to work hard. They admonish. They admonish. Yeah. They, they, they offer feedback. Not criticism, necessarily, because criticism is a negative word, but they come and they say, concerned about you, brother or sister. Think about this. Think about that. Pray about this. Focus here. You know, I see this. That's their job. That's what leaders are to do. And so the Scripture says in verse 13 that you're to esteem leaders very highly in love, particularly if they're doing this job. Okay? So believers, build one another up. Encourage one another. But respect, esteem leaders very highly, particularly when they're laboring and admonished because why? They're doing their job. That's their job. The book of Hebrews says, let it be a blessing to them and not a burden. That's the attitude towards leadership. Uh, Believers are also called to be, in verse 13, they're to be at peace with one another, with their leaders, with the world. Believers ought to evidence Lives of, of, of peace, of peacemaking. I tell my children often, I'll say, stop fighting, right? They're boys. This is why uh, Psalm uh, 133, was it this morning that was read? How, well, yeah, the big amen. Nancy's like, amen, because we've said this before. Behold, how pleasant it is when brothers like you four dwell in unity. You guys are good boys. We love you. Yeah. Um, so, 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 uh, where am I going? Oh, we're to be at peace. And I'll say to them, stop fighting. I don't mean just let conflict go at this very moment. It means actively, regularly resist fighting and, and cause conflict to cease. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. What does Jesus come and do? He comes and makes Peace. He's a peacemaker. So believers are to be at peace with one another and to make peace. Verse 14 says they are to be patient. 
So that is the general character, the general job description of the believer within fellowship. Now, there are three then big commands here. Verse 14 says this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. This is not the the big stone block that's covered in gold that you're supposed to worship according to some people. No, this is uh, one who is lazy and doing nothing valuable in the community except causing trouble. That's what it means to be idle, right? They used to say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Stay busy. I think that's a, that's a, a proverb that covers the, the Protestant work ethic. What's our response to the idle? Talk about them behind their back, right? No. <laughs> Admonish them. Hey, let's get busy, Right? Why? Because, because everybody's talked about it and, and they, you know, they, they, they finally got a talking to. No, because you see them and you're like, we want you to be productive in your Christian life. You have gifts, passions, and a history. And God has called you into fellowship with the church and He wants to use you to transform the world. This individual believer, their role in the body is to do good. That's their role. Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all, but especially to the believers. And so if somebody is not at work, we encourage them to get at work. We encourage them to, to live out their job description within the, the family, within the fellowship. And when that person says, you know what? Thank you. You're right. You did that in a loving, kind, considerate, encouraging way. And then they come online in the church. They come on fire and they contribute their gifts and the body grows. There are those who are faint, fearful, scared, whether it's of of not having enough money or of their own mortality or of political changes or of whatever it is, they're just, they're struggling, they're scared. What do we do? Judge them and talk about them behind their back, right? No, if they only they were stronger in their faith, right? If only, if only they just believed the truth of the scripture. No, that's not what it says. It says, encourage, encourage the faint. Encourage them. What does Isaiah 59 say? The Lord God has given me the tongue of the one who is taught that I may sustain the weary with a word. Be encouraged. You're anxious about things. What does Jesus do? He says, don't be anxious, not by way of a crushing command that's designed to, to tear someone down and make them feel horrific about themselves, like, oh, I'm anxious. And now Jesus told me not to be anxious, but I'm still anxious. He says, don't be anxious. Then he says, here's all the evidence why you don't need to be anxious. And he's gracious and kind. And he encourages the faint. Third, there are the weak. What do we do when a, when, a, when a little baby throws his spoon on the floor 
right? Sitting there trying to eat some Cheerios, shovel them into their mouth and onto their head and all over themselves, right? And they drop their spoon on the floor. What do we do? We say, why did you do that? Right? And they're there. They're like, eh, eh, reaching for their spoon. What do we say? Do we say, try harder. Get down and do it yourself. Right? We, we, we recite what, what Americans think is the most, uh, the, 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 the verse that's in the Bible. It's not, right? God helps those who help themselves. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kid. Get at it. No, we help them because they need help. We help the weak. Listen, this is a newsflash about the church, maybe. If you had all the gifts and all the drive and all the ability to live the Christian life by yourself, do you know who you would be? Jesus. And John the Baptist set the trend for the church by saying, I am not the Christ. Right? And neither are you and neither am I. And so there are going to be areas where we find someone who is weak in the church and we're going to say, you know what? This person, this leader is weak in that area. I am going to help them. We help the weak. That's what we do. There are many, many other commands. You can find them. Uh, Bible Gateway, the app on your phone, whatever it is, you know, concordance. Look up one another and look at all the things that the church is supposed to do to encourage the fellowship. God has called us into relationship with Him and He's called us in relationship to this body of believers. And God has a plan for the church to serve the world, to share Christ. Now let me make two points as we draw to a close. What is it that can shut this down? If you look at the letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, we are told that the church has external enemies. Right? Those who are of the synagogue of Satan, those who are going to rise up and oppose the church, those who are going to crush the church. You'll read through the book of Revelation. You're like, oh my goodness, the Antichrist, right? The beast from the sea, the beast from here. Like, this is some scary, horrific stuff, right? But when you look at that and you look at those letters to seven churches and Jesus warns the church and says, specifically, search for this. Here is the external enemy that will stop the church. Do you know what you find? Nothing. There is nothing exterior to God's family that can ever shut this thing down. This is the lesson that we learn all the way back in the Old Testament when little David says, I don't need your sword and I don't need your armor. God delivered me from the lion and he delivered me from the bear. I'm going to go down the stream. I'm going to get myself five rocks. I'm going to go and I'm going to face that giant. What does the giant say? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And you know, David says, David launches into this large speech, but he says, I am going to knock you down. I am going to cut your head off of your shoulders that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. David had no reason to be afraid of giants. 
as long as he was trusting in the Lord by faith. But when you look at the letters to the seven churches and you look for internal enemies that can destroy the church, that can stop its work, that can cause it to fail, you find a bunch of them. Was David undone by the giant? No, what was he undone by? His own passions and his desires and his lack of guarding his own life. What internal enemies can stop the church? The first one is drift. Revelation 2.25 says, Jesus says, hold fast to what you have until I come. And he talks about they, there, were, there were those in the church who held to this teaching of, of the Nicolaitans. What is that? We don't really know. But it's got something to do with adding to the gospel and drifting away from what they were called to. Jesus tells them in verse 16, therefore, repent. Drift is an enemy. Another enemy is pride. And a specific kind of pride. Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of your mouth. Now, what was it that made them lukewarm? This is what it says in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What does Paul say to the Corinthians who are in this position of of pride in the book of 1 Corinthians? He says, what do you have that you did not receive? The grace of God means that nothing that we will ever do will save us. That means that there's when, when God looks at us, he just says, that person will become the object of my affection, and I will remake them into what I desire them to be. And so we can't say God saved me because of my exceptional spelling ability or calendar ability or whatever, right? You know, and I'm not good at those kinds of things. But God saved me anyway and called me for a purpose. And if I get proud and out of my place and say, like, who are you to question me? Or if you do that to me or if we do that to the family, we get proud and we're like, we don't need anybody or anything. We have all the answers. We are the the light of the world. We will save the world. No, what we're to do is to be humble, lowly. Not sure why Jesus saved us individually, but we know what he saved us for to do good to the world, to serve, to share the gospel, to radiate a passion for what God has done for us. We need to remain humble. Another thing that can catch us off course is laziness. What does Jesus say to the church? Revelation 3.1 I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. A church ought to say we are going to share Jesus. 
We are going to love the world. We are going to love people who don't know Jesus. We're going to serve them and care for them. We're to do good to them and especially to the household of faith. And when he comes, we'll say, we served you. We loved you. We're excited that you're here. Look at what we did. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not what we do that saves us. But since we have been saved, we are called to good works, which he's prepared beforehand for us. Finally, coldness. Coldness of love. Love towards God. Love towards each other. Revelation 2.4, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. Okay, second to last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll close. What is the context in which we work out all of these things? What, what, is, what, what is the environment that we live out all these commands? Because we're not going to get the job done just on Sunday morning. There are relationships that need to exist outside of this meeting. Whether it's one-on-one with another believer, somebody saying, hey, let's get coffee. Let's tell each other our stories. It's a good start. Hey, let's get coffee again. Let's not go to Rise Up or Starbucks. Let's meet at Dunkin'. <laughs> and, 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 and you share your story with me again, and I'll encourage you. Listen, I, you know, you got to get your shots in where you can. You know? Anyway, um, I, there are photos of me at Rise Up. Okay, they're out there. Um, and, and, and yes, if you're like, I can't go to Dunkin', I'll meet you at Starbucks. That's cool. Yeah. But I'll, I'll do it under protest. Um, time together. Gathering into communities of small groups for the sake of encouragement and care of one another. Where do you learn to, to weep over difficulty that's come into someone's life? Where do you learn to rejoice over the, the circumstances? You know, we want to know each other. And it's hard in a group that's this big to know everyone well. And so we, we group together in smaller groups. We're putting together an initiative to start more small groups. So on your Connect card right there, you know, there's a place for you to say, I want to know more about small groups, or I think that God might be calling me to be a leader. And so just check those off, stick them in the offering plate, and we'll get in touch with you, and we'll say, this is what we're doing. And you'll hear a little bit more about this next week. Small groups. Finally, let me say this. We have a judge. We have a judge that is able to determine whether or not we're doing this or not. And you might be surprised to know who it is. Jesus gives the right to judge to the world. Okay? Here we go. This is how I'm going to do it. All right? Here's the world. Kind of a... And then here's uh, some continents, okay? There's Antarctica, right? Okay, there's our world. All right. And the world has the ability to judge. Let me point this out to you. Okay? I'm going to show you from Scripture. I'm done, I think, drawing. Has the Father sent the Son? 
right? The church would say, yes, absolutely. But the world is given the right to choose and to say, yeah, yeah, that Jesus guy, he's from God. What, what, what do you mean? John 17, 20 says this. Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will, be, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. This endless succession of believers that's rolled out from that first day of Pentecost. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Here's that fellowship happening. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you, did you hear that? The oneness of the church gives the world the right to judge whether or not the Father sent the Son. That's pretty important, isn't it? Second criteria, second thing that the world is allowed to judge is, are these God's people? John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By your extensive website, by your fancy drawings, by your white-hot worship, by, by, by you know, the, 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 the quality of the mailer that you send out, inviting people to Easter services, you know, what is it that the world judges? What is their criteria? It is if you love one another if we maintain the fellowship, if we pursue it with a burden and a passion and we say, I love God's people, then the world has the right to say, those are the followers of Jesus. So this is my prayer as we close. We're we're called to pursue the fellowship, to grow the fellowship, both in maturity and in size. Let's listen to the words of Jesus and look at the commands of Scripture and say, we are going to live it out by God's grace, for God's glory, and that's where we're going to find our joy. Our churches, however many people, God will bless us and we will grow. But that's not the primary thing that's important. The primary thing that's important is Are we sharing? Are we faithful? Are we serving? And do we love each other? That's what the world has the right to judge. That's the standard God set out for us. Let's pray. Uh, The band, uh, actually, uh, we're going to take up the offering. I'm going to pray, and the offering, Scott Heatwell will be up here. That was awkward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I thank you for this church family. 
And I pray, Lord, I thank you so much for the, for the way our family functions. We are not perfect by any stretch, but there is so much good that you've put in us. We, we pray that, that just as family and love and affection are good, that we would throw more and more fuel on that fire and that our affection and care for one another would grow as our affection and love and desire to please you and honor you and serve you in truth would grow. We pray that, that you would fill us with a passion both to serve the world, to do good, and to love one another. We pray that you would build the fellowship as we seek to build it through care and love and obedience to your commands. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We're saved by grace through faith. We're called to good works. Help us to to live that out, Father, each and every day for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.